Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 53 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbonis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. What if I don't say hello in a different way this week? That is so clever, Rick. Uh, I'm just... I'm speechless. I'm speechless at, at, at the way that you've approached this thematically. Uh, well done. Bravo. Bravo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, what if is big business these days, Rick? I don't know if you've been watching What If, but uh, I have. it's on everybody's lips these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's been fun watching, uh, watching on the MCU on Disney Plus, watching mm-hmm. the What If series. Um you know, by the time this comes out, there'll be a few episodes that have been out that I, I haven't seen yet. But yeah. uh, what I have seen so far, I've really enjoyed. And uh, obviously, as Captain America fans, we all loved the first one, right? When mm-hmm. Peggy Carter became Captain yeah. Carter and yet Steve Rogers still became a hero in his own way. Yeah, uh, that was fun. That was yeah. a great episode. Yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of great episodes, the, uh, you know, for, for Captain America comic book fans, uh, fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it's animated and uh, the artwork is is very appealing. It's aesthetically appealing. The stories are great. It's great to hear some of the voices. So uh, yeah, I think it's and I think it's great that it's sort of exciting people about those old chestnuts, those those great series of books, the what if books uh, from back in the seventies and eighties that maybe a lot of people didn't know about and nineties. Yeah, yeah, nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they've made their their comebacks too. They were, I know they did a series of one shots in the two thousands, um, you know, coming out as uh, little special one shots. Um, those were fun too. Yeah, they've always been great stories that kind of got you thinking, kind of alternate universe type stories. Uh, you know, if if this little thing happened or this little thing didn't happen, right? Yeah, the ripple effect, right? But yeah, yeah I think the MCU is doing a great job. I, I certainly get a thrill out of the fact that, you know, they're bringing back almost all of the original actors to be, you know, do the voices. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, that they, they're, they're, you know, giving their talent to, to this, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, that's, that's a fun part as well. Yeah. And I was skeptical, you know, when they first announced, you know, I mean, of course we, we knew all the live actions uh, shows that were coming out and that will be coming out. And, and when they announced this animated, what if I got to tell you, I was skeptical. But uh, it's been a real treat. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, so when we looked at when what if the comic series came out, I want to say it was nineteen seventy seven. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, what they envisioned. You know, how long this was going to last, but it, but it seemed to be pretty popular. um, That first volume, you know, it it was out for for a while. Right. I mean, I don't know. First volume had what something like forty, I think forty something issues, maybe forty-seven. Yeah, forty-seven, yeah, 47 right. issues. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, you know, it spanned for a few years. Yeah, and volume two went on a lot longer, if I recall. Did it? I, I don't remember. I can't remember what it was, but it went on. I think at least twice that. I think. Yeah. So we're going to cover today. Um, what if number five, which came out in had a cover date of October 1977. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, just kind of get everybody up to speed on what's been happening 
Um, we, we, we did announce in episode 50 um, that we had this, this giveaway that we're doing for the Captain America. Uh, what would Cap do challenge coins? Um, now, if you become a patron of the group and the podcast at the Shield Slinger level, um, then you know you will get one of these mailed to you. But but we're feeling a little generous. We we want to to also uh, give it out to some others out there too. Um, so all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and rate. Give us a five star review. Um, and, and, you know, some sort of commentary, uh, you know, maybe how much you, you love Bob's voice or something like that. And, um, we, once we get to the next 10 reviews, we're just going to randomly pick three of those 10 are going to get the coin. It's pretty good odds, Bob. Yeah. I mean, that's great odds. I mean, I love my coin. I carry it everywhere I go. I'm always thumbing it in my pocket, you know, and, and every time I'm not going to drop it this time. I'm not going to drop it this time. That was a one-time event, and I was drinking heavily, so it's not <laughs> fair to, to you know. You were not. <laughs> but uh, you know, seriously, I carry you know wherever I go, and I pull it out and I look at it, and I go, "Man, this thing is so awesome!" Right? You know, I love yeah. it. All right, so you know, just a reminder uh, for people to go out and do that: go to Apple and leave us a five-star review. Um, what else? No, I think it's what if. Oh. What if Bob said no when Rick asked him to be a partner on his podcast? Oh my gosh. What what sort of world would that have been? I don't know. It'd, it'd be just me sitting here just you know reading comics and and making snide remarks <laughs> and nobody laughing at them. I know. I'd have yeah. to pipe in some laugh track or something. I don't know. Um, now, anyway, uh, so if you're, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, wait a minute, we were supposed to listen to, uh, United States of Captain America, number four, what's going on? Yeah. You're not mistaken. Yeah. You're not mistaken. Um, we're pivoting, you know, because Mm -hmm. we're, we're agile, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like a. Yeah, like a leopard. Yeah, we're agile. Yeah. Uh, we uh, both Bob and I could not get the most recent issue from our local comic shop, so uh, it's going to have to wait a week. I'm thinking, yeah. you know. So hopefully, come back next episode in 54, and we'll uh, we'll we'll be discussing the fourth and penultimate issue of the United States of Captain America miniseries. Wow. Wow, I uh, I was like, how many syllables was that? Did I throw out a big word for you, <laughs> Professor? I gotta find my dictionary, my thesaurus, or something. I got uh, somebody help me out. Yeah, penultimate. Did you like nice. that? That was nice. Yeah, no, no pun on the word pen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Well done. I'm sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like a. You know, foghorn, leghorn, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. That that boy's sharp. Sharp, I say. <laughs> sharp like a bowling ball. Oh, man. Old foghorn. Uh, foghorn would have a hard time in today's world. Uh, he, he's a little... 
what was he saying about that? What was he saying about that uh, mother hen? Right? Uh, he's like, that woman's like I eighty, no curve. <laughs> <laughs> and he does a little motion with his hands, going uh-huh. straight up and down. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, Fogworm was the best. Yeah, it was a good character. Did you have a favorite Looney Tune? Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I was always, I was, I was really enamored with Underdog as, as a kid. I uh, said Looney Tune character. I, I know. That's what I mean. I mean, I didn't really watch uh, the Looney Tune. I was enamored with Underdog. Oh. So uh, that was my thing, man. And he'd go into his uh, filing cabinet. Right, mm-hmm. and come mm-hmm. out in his little underoos. Yeah, had his little ring, and yeah, Polly Pureheart, Polly Purebred, Polly Pureheart. I can't remember now. I got it. So I hate getting old. <laughs> I was so mad, you know. I had like I had like an awesome. This was like pre Funko, right? But I had this awesome like vinyl underdog, uh, like miniature, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had it on my shelf for years and years. And then I had then I had a kid, and he he destroyed it. <laughs> I was so mad. Oh. <laughs> I never showed it. I've never told anyone, right? This is very cathartic for me. But uh, yeah, I'll just never forget that. I don't even know what happened to him. I was so upset. I was, just the other day, I was thinking, I'm going to find one of those damn things and I'm going to get a new one. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe put that on your Christmas list. Maybe, maybe. I'll get yeah. coal again. And you know what I'm going to put on my Christmas list? Somebody in the Facebook group today posted a... Um, a t-shirt the and, cat wolf one yeah uh-huh and i'm you know i mean look cap wolf is is what cap wolf is right <laughs> i mean That's you know it, it was a pretty cheesy story uh uh-huh. very 90s but that particular cover was pretty cool I, you know i was never the biggest rick levens fan but uh-huh. that was a really cool cover and i think somebody in our group actually owns the original art to that cover um, I, I'm pretty sure some wow. of our group and I've seen them p- post it. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have that. That may be really cool, but it's more of the cheesiness of that t-shirt. Like, yeah. you know, be like, like, it's like one of those people's like, you know, you'd see another cap fan and they'd look at you and go, Oh, Oh, that's cool. Right. right. Cause yeah. they'd look at you and go like, you know, I just have the shield or I just have, you know, cap, you know, this, you know, to have a cap wolf one. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to send that link and, and, and ask for it for Christmas and see, if, right. see what happens. I want to see how that works out for you. That's the thing about our Facebook group, right? We're always constantly seeing things. I know. Go, yeah. You know, what's, what, what do we say? We always say, uh, wow, I never, I never knew. I, I always wanted that. Yeah, I know. I swore and I swore on a stack of Bibles. I don't know how many times that I would never get a Funko. <clears throat> How'd that work out for you? Yeah, it hasn't worked out well. Now I'm like obsessing about getting that damn Funko Soda what if cap zombie thing. Uh, so, yeah. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Well, I got two. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I just like the, I like the look of the can. I don't actually want what's in well, the How can. much does it cost? They're only really like 12 bucks, you know, new. But, 12 bucks you know, for a can? Yeah, but it has a little figure inside, you know, and the whole. Oh, it does. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know what was inside. Yeah, they're like figures, and every every so one. You're of never going to open the can. No, but there's a chase, right? So, like, there's a there's a limited run of I think ten thousand regular ones, and then there's uh-huh. like two thousand of the special one. 
but you have to open the can to figure out which one you have. Oh man, that's brilliant. Yeah. And so that's genius. Yeah. So, uh, Hey, wait, 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 we're not getting paid by Funko here. <laughs> All right. We Listen, should be. Yeah. I know. Listen, hey Funko, if you yeah. want to be a sponsor on our podcast, yeah. you reach out to me. I'll, I'll work you a deal. He will. He will, folks. All right. Yeah. I'll just I'll I'll be the best pitch man you ever had. You just give me free Funkos for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Funkos. Uh, uh, maybe think of that because of the Cap Wolf one. Yeah, that was uh, you know that's a pretty cool one. I think you know. I'm not a big fan of Cap Wolf, but everybody's got to have a Cap Wolf Funko. Yeah, I don't give a Funko. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. So we're going to get into this issue, which is what if number five, and it is what if Captain America hadn't vanished during World War II? So that's an interesting premise, right? Yeah. yeah. Back in 1977. And by the way, the other thing, too, I want to say about the MCU cartoon, the what if. You know, I keep saying, what if, what if, what if that's how yeah. I say it. I've, that's right. how I've always said it. What if, Yeah, say it right. but, but now, now I want to say, what if, <laughs> right? Cause that's the kind of like how the guy says it on the, yeah. on the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what's, Oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. It's a famous uh, actor, right? Oh, I don't know. And he's going to play, he plays commissioner Gordon in the upcoming Batman movie. Uh, I can't remember his name. Okay. And uh, how do you say the watcher's name? Is it Uwata? I, I, you know, I don't speak that language. I'm Vietnamese, Indonesian. Uwata? I, yeah. Uwata, Uwata? Uwata or something. I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bastardize it. I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, because the title is what dot, 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 if question mark. So there should be a pause. You shouldn't be saying what if. It's what if. if. And then you have a question mark. So you have to, you got to have that inflection. Right, you got to drag it out a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so it's, what if? Yeah, I would even say you have to have a longer if. Mm. (laughs) Whenever we watch this, me and my son, I always go, I always do that, I always go, what if? You know, just (laughs) keep it going, you know, until I run out of air. Apparently. Um, So this particular uh, issue of of what if number five um, kind of guess we'll, we'll go over who the creators were right so um, the the script is by Don Glut but Roy Thomas uh, who is the editor actually did the plot and what's interesting is in the issue before which was issue four um, that one was actually written by Roy Thomas. And that one was, what if the invaders had stayed together after World War II, mm-hmm. which is a really cool story. And we'll yeah. get to it one of these days. We'll, we'll come back and do that story one of these days. But um, at the end of that issue, um, when they're, they're saying, hey, next issue is uh, this Captain America, it's like basically the other side of the coin, right? Because yeah. in, in, in 
I don't want to give anything away in issue four, but Captain America, right? What happened to him mm-hmm. during World War II? Well, this one is a different story. So we did, we just need to get to it, right? So, yeah, yeah. This is a good story. It's a great story. So yeah. So on the cover, you have a, in the background a Captain America holding his shield in his uniform with the, and clenching his right fist, and a, um, the starburst says, "Bucky lives." The Cap story, your letters demanded, and Cap saying, "I won't let Bucky die. Not this time. This I swear." And then the blurb on the bottom says, how can Captain America overcome a destiny that means death? And on this cover, we see Cap uh, fighting through a, a bunch of Nazis with Bucky beside him. And in the background, you have the original uh, uh, Baron Zemo. Mm-hmm. Um, is this Heinrich? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, well, Helmet is his son. Yeah, Heinrich. Helmet, yeah. Helmet's his son. So this is... Yeah. Is Hydric, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then you have um, Red Skull in his Nazi out- outfit firing his gun, not at Captain America, but directly into the middle of his shield. Which brings up a, <laughs> they should have done a, what if all the villains didn't fire directly at Captain America's shield and instead at his body or his head or his feet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this often comes up in the Facebook group. People, people ask that question. Yeah. What if, <laughs> but, uh, and we got it. I think it's in volume four. It was addressed. Somebody addressed it. Maybe it was Mark Wade. Maybe I can't remember. Right. You're right. Yeah. But there was a, an, an, an issue in Captain America, I recall. Maybe maybe the listeners can post this on the Facebook page, but where the um, where the cap was like, here's why, you know, everybody always fires at the shield instead of at me, you know, because I'm coming at them really fast and and you know whatever. I mean, like it's explained. It's like anyway. I, well, you know, I, it makes sense, right? Because, you know, you know what happens if you're driving down the road and you look to the car next to you, you will veer toward that car. There's some sort of, I don't know, spatial thing that happens. So probably if you're looking at that star, right, your eye is drawn to it and that's what you're going to shoot at. So hmm. it's all science. Okay. Yeah. So the writer for, uh, as I mentioned, was Don Glutton, Roy Thomas. Now here's something interesting, Bob. Um, over in Captain America and the Falcon, number 214, which is also the same month, October of 1977. This is the last issue of Jack Kirby, where he was doing the mm-hmm. writing and the, uh, the pencils. Okay. Um, following this, the November issue, um, there's a, a short story uh, written by Roy Thomas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then, so after Jack Kirby leaves, um, the next couple of issues are written by Roy Thomas. And then the next one, which is 217, is plotted by Roy Thomas and scripted by Don Glutt. And then Don Glutt goes on to to write um, Cap for a few issues. So I'm thinking it had something to do with this, right? So I think Don and Roy worked together on this what if, which translated into Roy and Don writing uh, mm-hmm. the cap series after jack kirby left that's some good research rick i would I, I wouldn't have put that together but yeah i think you're right 
Yeah. So getting back to what if five, uh, the penciler is George Tuska. Now, George Tuska is a uh, seasoned veteran who's been around quite some time. Um, so he's a classic uh, Marvel artist in that Marvel style. Inked by Russ Jones, colorist George Rosas, letterer. There are two letterers there, Carl Lay and Warren Greenwood. And then, as I mentioned, Roy Thomas was the editor. I am. I'm on pins and needles, Rick. Pins and needles. Uh, waiting to hear your watcher voice. Oh, boy. <laughs> Stanley presents a stunning saga of an alternate reality. What if Captain America and Bucky had both survived World War II? A question, perhaps, which only I can answer. For in those violent days your people called World War II, I was present. I am the watcher, who both observed and recorded the exploits of the era's mightiest fighting team. And so on this big splash, we have Cap and Bucky uh, fighting uh, Nazis, and Cap's saying, let's give these Ratsies one from Uncle Sam, from Captain America, and Bucky! Wahoo! Special note, if this issue's scintillating splash page looks a wee bit similar to last issue's, well, it is, and it isn't. But like we said then, what if number five is the other side of the coin? Keep reading and dig what we mean, okay? Signed by Roy. Indeed, I was present, though unseen, upon that fateful day in England, near the close of World War II. So we have Cap and Bucky riding uh, on the motorcycle in uh, what appears to be civvies uh, going after the, uh, the, the plane. We're too late, Bucky. We'll have to go after it another plane. No, don't stop. I think I can reach it, Cap. For on this day, a non-costume Captain America and Bucky were attempting to stop an experimental drone plane, one of America's newest weapons, launched by the Nazi Baron Zemo. Can't make it. Drop off into the water, lad. Don't try to go it alone. No, I can bring the plane back. I know I can. And this is the point where Cap's, you know, motorcycle's in the air and he's falling. Yet not until the valiant Captain America fell short of the craft did he come to realize the truth. Bucky, let go. It might be booby-trapped. You can't deactivate the bomb without me. Drop off. You're right, Cap. I see the fuse. It's going to blow. Would that the awesome power at my disposal had prevented the explosion. But I am sworn not to intervene in such matters. Thus, I could but watch as a brave young ally perished. While Baron Zemo, the murderer who had gimmicked the drone to explode, escaped unpunished for his ignominious deed. I have succeeded in destroying Captain and Bucky, a feat of which not even Hitler's favorite, the Red Skull, can boast. Ha ha ha! And the, the Baron Zemo is lifting his arms in triumphant. But Captain America did not perish. And then we have a scene of the uh, Eskimos uh, praying uh, in front of Cap frozen in an iceberg. Almighty Lord of the frozen ice, hear our prayers. Frozen in an ice flow, 
he survived in suspended animation until some two decades later. But there came another being that day, hostile towards all humans, whom he deemed responsible for the destruction of his undersea race. Run, you weak, helpless mortals, before I destroy you as I do your frozen god. It is a legendary submariner, and he has gone mad. His anger temporarily abated. Prince Namor abandoned the frozen block he had tossed into the sea, leaving it to melt as it met the warm waters of the Gulf Stream. There, fatefully, a submarine was searching for the dangerous Prince of Atlantis. I've got him, but it isn't Namor. From that star-spangled costume underneath his clothes and that shield, I'd say Giant Man just grabbed Captain America. And he's alive. And this, these events are retold from Avengers number four and Captain America 100. Thus, it happened that Captain America, living legend of World War II, awakened in another time to join that elite group of super-powered mortals, the mighty Avengers. Such were the events on your world, yet I, the Watcher, may peer into other frames of reality, and to the near final day of another Second World War, being waged on a quite similar parallel world. But on this earth, the vehicle upon which these heroes ride moves a mere seconds or two faster. I made it, Bucky, and so Steve's on the, on the drone plane from the motorcycle. I knew you would, Cap. Now, if I can only find, yes, the controls. Never deactivate a bomb like this before, so pray I'm pulling the right wires. Yes, it's not smoking anymore. You've done it, Cap, but you also put the, the drone into a nosedive. And sure, there's no way of maneuvering off this baby. Hang on. And so they, they crash into the, uh, into the ocean, but it's right next to a vessel. What was that? A bloody buzz bomb? Fortunately, these are friendly waters, the English Channel, which receives America's greatest crusaders. And as two figures surface, their lungs demanding air. Our English friends can savage the drone plane, but first, let's get into costume. We're boarding that English ship as Captain America and Bucky. And not Private Steve Rogers and Army mascot Bucky Barnes. So somehow they had their costumes underneath those civvies. But what of Baron Zemo, now that he has failed to destroy his most hated foe? Those American swine know the location of this base of operations. Thus, I had better forget my androids and vacate these premises while I still can. So he's getting on a, looks like a little rocket. By the way, in Avengers 56, uh, Zemo did not forget his androids. Less than a minute later. It's Zemo, getting away in that V2 craft of his. Come on, Bucky, we've got to stop him before he gets back to the fatherland. No way to catch him now, Yank. Best you and the boy relax and dry off. But the Baron's rocket vehicle was not the range of returning to Germany, thus in the countryside within the boundaries of France. And then the, uh, the plane crashes. The experimental rejector seat worked splendidly, a tribute to Aryan invention. It's my only descent was not observed by French plane spotters. Thus, 
for the French are unaware that this medieval castle of theirs is not still abandoned. But now I must explain my failure to the one German who I despise, the one to whom I remain second in the Fuhrer's favor. Yet I shall remain fearless, arrogant when I face him. So he comes up to the castle door and there are two German soldiers there. Halt! There is then, oh, it is you, Baron. We cannot be too careful, since we are behind enemy lines. Stand aside, lackeys. Baron Zemo fears neither the French nor your masked commander. Fearlessly, the soldiers allow Zemo to pass. So you return at last, Herr Baron. End empty-handed. Do not mock me, Skull. The Red Skull second only to Hitler himself and the power and prestige of the Third Reich. I gave you a command, Zemo. Keep that drone plane out of Henleid's hands and kill Captain America and Bucky. Obviously, you failed at both. You had better listen to me, Skull, for I can explain my seeming failure. Explain? There's nothing to explain. You have failed both your country and your Fuhrer. Even as he speaks, the Red Skull's hand reaches behind his throne. And he fires at him with this uh, particular like laser gun right in the gut. And you'll fail neither of them again. Then, as the Red Skull pulls a rusted ring from the wall. Ach, the hidden passageways in this castle still have their uses. Too long have you been a thorn in my side, Zemo, a thorn I have finally plucked. And Zemo falls into this hidden trap door. For that weapon was an experimental one, designed not to kill, but keep one asleep, perhaps, for 20 or 30 years. When you finally awaken, you'll be imprisoned down there, with that ridiculous hood still stuck to your cowardly face, Ha-ha! Gee, Bob, that seems a little uh, convenient. A yeah. sleep for 20, 30 years. I know. It seems like I, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it's almost as if I've heard that before. Hmm. What do you think happens 20, 30 years uh, after, Bob? Huh. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and find out, right? But now the time has come to leave this fortress. No doubt Zemo's flight was tracked here, in which case the castle is of no further use to our cause. But where do you lead us now, Hirschkull? Yours is not to question the Red Skull soldier, but only to follow. This ship, like Zemo's, is propelled with the power of the V-2 rocket. It can easily reach your glorious fatherland. Unfortunately for you, there is but room for one passenger. What? What? You mean... Yes, you remain here. Ha-ha! to claim a few more allied lives when they invade this fortress. So he slams the door and he takes off in this rocket. The traitor leaving us behind to fight his battle. Kill the swine. Too late. He is already beyond our range. Soon, French soldiers have reclaimed the ancient castle. And later, within the Red Skull's last fortress, Captain America and his young ally waged the war's final battle with their most deadly enemy.
and the Nazis seeking to protect him. So uh, actually, this refers to a World War II tale from Tales of Suspense 72, if you want to check it out. Yet, even as the noble captain prepares to make the skull-masked villain his captive, there sounds a screaming from overhead. Come on, Bucky. We can't bring in the Red Skull if we're dead ourselves. I'm reading you loud and clear, Cap. Alas, I am forbidden to intervene in the Earth's battles. Yet soon, I am observing the final days of the war. As Captain America and Bucky joined others of equal courage to fight the Germans on their own bloodied soil. So he's there with uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, Bob. I love it. I love, I always love seeing those guys. Then at last, a rifle shot is followed not by others, but the sound of human rejoicing. Wahoo! We got them, boys! We can put down our guns! These heinies aren't going anyplace. And that was, uh, Dum Dum Dugan. All right, you gold bricks. Let's round out these goose steppers. You know, Cap, they ain't kidding when they call you a one-man army. Nick giving a compliment? What's wrong, Sarge? You're going soft on us? We did it together. Captain America, Bucky, and Sergeant Fury, and his howling commandos. So Cap runs off, and thinking in his little thought balloon is, yeah, too bad all of us howlers ain't going home. Like that poor kid, Junior Juniper. So he's referring to an issue of uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, issue 27. Uh, look, cop, maybe I'll see you around after the war's over. It's a date. Meanwhile, you take care of that eye of yours, Nick. And within the days that follow, World War II comes to a much welcome and dramatic close. From this planet's only moon, I watch as a decade passes before my eyes. And I perceive a new era with new threats as a nation which had been an ally against the hated Nazis now engages the United States in a so-called Cold War. In this plane of reality, there is no need for a bogus Captain America and a Bucky to combat any foreign spies. What's he referring to, Bob? Ooh, I think we covered that one extensively, Rick. Captain America 155, right? That whole that- series. That we did. In fact, we just had a chance uh, in the uh, last episode to talk to the writer, Steve Enkelhardt, about yeah. that and, and what the story was. But for those um, uh, maybe who haven't read the story itself, um, he's talking about uh, Captain America 153 through 156, which we covered in episode six. So go listen to episode six after this if you're curious about the the bogus Captain America that the Watcher is referring to. For the originals, though 10 years older, are very much alive and active. And we have a fight scene where Cap and Bucky are uh, battling some crooks. Just like the old days, eh, Buck? Only their uniforms are different, Cap. It, it's the capitalist superhero and that Bucky... Haven't you heard, Ivan? I've long outgrown that name. The name's Buck now, which is more than either of you are going to be worth when we're finished with you. Shortly afterwards, 
listen, Captain, there's something I want to talk over with you. Hey, didn't that newsboy just say something about Nick Fury? Extra, extra, war hero dies. And so they grab a uh, a newspaper, and sure enough, it's a picture of Nick Fury, war hero, killed in action. Killed on a Korean battlefield. Didn't see that grenade thrown to his left. That old war horse. I warned him about that, a bad eye. So, so Bob. Yeah. He couldn't see a grenade to his left because he had a patch on his left eye. Some might call it a blind spot. (laughs) (laughs) Some may, may, Bob. Some may. He warned him. I guess he didn't see that coming. Oh, nice. Nicely played. Watch with me, then, as the 1950s give away to the 60s. And an ever-widening rift forms between Captain America and his adult partner. For though he treats the younger Buck as an equal in their battle against evil, it is still he who is of larger stature, with greater strength, with the power of the super-soldier formula still coursing through his veins. He is still Captain America. So that was a, uh, a splash page, right? A mon- montage of Cap and Buck fighting different crooks over the years. And by the middle 1960s, a Buck Barnes, no longer able to live in the shadow of Captain America, quietly puts away his costume. Then, one day, we have Captain America in front of the White House, and he's thinking to himself, Imagine the president himself inviting me to the White House. Must be something important. Presently, in the far-famed Oval Office. We could take off your mask in here, Steve. I can't imagine how uncomfortable a mask can get. What? Then you know my secret identity? Of course I do. So, So did FDR and Truman and Ike and Jack. How else would you avoid a court-martial after going AWOL so so often in the war? But that's not what I called you here for, discuss, Steve. So who is that, Bob? Which president is that? That looks like a Lyndon Baines Johnson, my friend. That's right. So he uh, shows a picture to Cap, and it's uh, of a Hydra agent. It looks like uh, Supreme Hydra. Here, take a look at this highly classified photograph. Hmm. Mean-looking cuss. What's he a member of? Some new version of the KKK? <laughs> but perhaps, like some people, he didn't notice that big yellow H. Shut up, Bob. <laughs> All right. For those, for those who are aware of Bob's little little poke at me there, um, so I got this little sketch card of a Hydra agent. It was made by Fred Hembeck. Who's a little, you know, who's a Marvel cartoonist or, you know, in the 80s, 70s, what, 80s, 80s, anyway. Um, and it was sitting on my desk in front of me. And it was probably there a week or two. And then one day I'm looking at it and I see that on this green Hydra agent's outfit, you know, they have, it basically has this, uh, these straps, right? Like as a yellow, it has a belt. And then he's got these, uh, it almost looks like, yellow straps like you would put a gun onto right like a you know mm-hmm. holster type of thing and uh and then there's like a sash that that falls down 
and has the um, it continues, and it, it dawned on me that it it was a big yellow H. Like, how did that happen? Like, I'm I'm 50 years old. I've I, I've seen yeah. that thing over and over and over and over again, and it never dawned on me that it was a big freaking H for Hydra. Now you know how Hydra has been able to hide in plain sight all these years. Oh, good, Bob. Yes, yeah. yes, that's true. But so. here's the sad part, Bob. I'm in marketing. I have, <laughs> I have worked on logos. Yeah. And the subtleties of logos. I have, I have, you know, created some. I have, uh, you know, worked with brands on, on these. Like, I, I'm no, from, I, I'm not, you know, no stranger to to the fact of of the subtleness of various logos i can yeah. i i wrote stories i have a blog if you want to go check out my blog uh, i haven't written it in 10 years but it's yourguerillamarketer.com i was writing blogs and marketing and one of them was two couple blogs actually were all about logos yeah i know freaking logos yeah but i was completely blind to it yeah. Well, now you know why uh, AIM and Roxxon haven't called. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Well, I posted this on Facebook, and I was anticipating that a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, now I see it. Oh, <laughs> right, you know, but no, 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 90%, maybe yeah. 95% on the comments were like, you're kidding, right? You know, or some less kind words. Uh, I mean, there's some people who are like, what are you, an idiot? You know, like, right now there were a few people who were like, Oh, Oh, I see it now too. You know? So yeah. I, did, I, I, I yeah. felt somewhat justified. Yeah. Like I wasn't the only guy out there. Yeah, they were being polite, but yeah. Oh, shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> uh. so the president says, Something like that, son, only much bigger. That's an agent of Hydra, a secret criminal organization whose goal is nothing short of world conquest. Hitler tried that, Mr. President. So did the Red Skull and a few others. I know, Steve, but these Hydra boys might just be able to do it. That's why we formed our own top priority organization to com combat fanatical groups like Hydra. We call it S.H.I.E.L.D., for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. All it needs is an experienced fighting man to give the orders. Well, partner, want the job? I, uh, I'm flattered, Mr. President, but take your time, son. Think it over. It just wouldn't work, sir. Ever since Bucky or, or Buck went into semi-retirement, I've been a loner. I even turned down an invitation to join the Avengers. Guess we old-timers can get set in our ways. Then we're at a loss, Steve. Our second choice as S.H.I.E.L.D. leader would have been Nick Fury, had he still been alive, but but now you need, you need to look no further, Mr. President. My ex-partner, Buck Barnes, is no longer playing the junior sidekick role, but he's good. And though he never received a super soldier serum injection, he knows everything I do. I'm certain that if we both ask him, And the watcher says, they do. And Buck Barnes accepts. Thus, upon this earth, 
it's not Nick Fury who becomes the head of the free nation's most sophisticated counter-espionage agency. And uh, when did he become that in Marvel? Back in uh, Strange Tales 135, Rick. That's true. But rather a somewhat younger man who wages war against Hydra, a man known as Buck Barnes, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And during but one of these many battles. So we have uh, Buck here. He's wearing a suit, like a, you know, a, a, a grown-up man's suit, not, not a hero suit. And um, he's thinking to himself of he's battling uh, Hydra agents. These men are mopping up these hirelings, all right. But it's the number one man I want. The one they call the Supreme Hydra. And so here we cut to a panel of the Supreme Hydra who is running away. Let those clods be taken. Their loss will not cripple Hydra. Cut off a limb and two more shall take its place. Now all that matters is that I escape. When the, when the fighting has ended. Well, Buck, we did it. Even with that old Nick, rest his ornery soul. Hey, boss man, why so glum? I'm not sure, dum-dum. Just a weird feeling I had when, when I glimpsed the Supreme Hydra's eyes. I'll take it from Mr. Dugan. You're just down because that creep got away. Maybe. But you know, that fight reminded me of Germany. When Captain Hallers and I... Yeah, those were great times when Nick was alive. Know something, dum-dum? I should have outgrown it by now, but I miss the old costume hero days. You know, Buck, even before I came out of retirement to become S.H.I.E.L.D.'s number two man, I wondered, how come Cap never retired and let you take up that star-spangled frisbee of his? We talked about it, actually, but I decided never to become a second Cap. I mean, let's face it, I wasn't injected with that super soldier serum, so even though I'd always be compared to the original Cap, I'd never equal him. Keep telling yourself that, Buck, and maybe someday we'll both believe it. We skip forward several years to a moment where, in your reality, Captain America had walked alone. So we have Steve as Captain America, and we have Buck, head of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm just going to pause here for a minute, Bob. All right. Uh, Do it. Do it. We're so used to seeing an adult Bucky Barnes. Yeah. Whether it's in the MCU, whether it's in the comics since the last 15, 16, 17 years. Right. Right. We're so used to that, that I I have to think if I'm reading this comic for the very first time. In 1977. 1977. This is pretty darn cool. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I hadn't thought about that, but it would be jarring too. Right. I mean, yeah, this would have been like out of out of left field. Yeah, it's not something uh, it's not something readers back in the in the late seventies would have expected to see, and yet, you know, we take it for granted now. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> Rick's uh, Rick's enjoying some pretzels, folks. So I'm just going to keep going. And uh, I think, uh, you know, he's a handsome man. Uh, not Rick, folks, Buck. Buck Barnes, uh, the adult the adult Buck. So, uh, 
Yeah. What might have been? What might have been? I'm back. Okay. So Buck uh, says to, to Steve, and so I got to thinking, Cap, if Steve Rogers had adopted me when I was a kid, I know, partner, today your name would be Buck Rogers, right? Seriously, though. It's great to see you again, Buck. Talking about old times and all. But the time for reminiscing is short-lived as <clears throat> it's the Hulk. And here comes the Hulk breaking through a wall, which happens around the same time as Captain America 110. But as Captain America charges the rampaging brute, he sees a flash of green and then only black. So the, the Hulk hits Cap hard. And so his shield goes flying. So Buck picks up the shield. Cap's still strong, but not like he used to be. And he isn't as fast either. So other man grabs metal dish. Keep back. Leave him alone. He's just confused. That kid, it's Rick Jones. No one can beat Hulk. Good Lord. The monsters grab the boy. No one. And he throws this girder that he rips out of the ground into a building, which causes the wall come come crashing down. Then as the very building crumbles, as the Hulk's missile makes its impact, a superhero is suddenly reborn. So Buck grabs the shield. Rick's hurt, but if I can get to him before the whole blamed building comes down, toppling down. Uh, oh, get away from here, Hulk. Forget the Hulk, Rick, and don't move till I tell you. Until I found out if Cap's shield is still as indestructible as it used to be. It is. And as days Captain America revives, building falls down, and Hulk will get blamed for it. Then Hulk will leave before men start shooting again. Cap thinks to himself, it's Rick Jones, the friend, Hulk's friend, and if not for Buck's heroics, he would have been killed. In your world, it was Captain America himself who saved young Rick from the Hulk, but not here. So we cut to later on, and we have Rick Jones laying in a bed, and we have a shirtless Steve Rogers sitting next to him, overlooking him. You'll be all right, lad. All you need is rest. But until we find a way to tame him, you must never return to the Hulk. And out of the shadows behind Steve, I'll gladly second that statement, Cap. Huh? And Cap turns on the, Steve turns on the light, and there's, a man dressed in the Captain America uniform with the shield. What? Either I'm suffering from battle fatigue or that's me, only only how you used to look. It's a little baggy, but just a little. And Buck takes off his mask. Besides Cap, it could be taken in. So Cap, who's, uh, who's shirtless but wearing... Uh, pajama bottoms, and how would you describe those pajama? Those bottoms? are those would uh, I think are technically called polka dot pajama bottoms. 
Yeah. And they're very nice. I mean, they look comfortable. So uh, white, uh, <laughs> a white background with uh, blue polka dots of various sizes, Rick. Enjoy that pretzel. It's been a long day for Rick, folks. He's just, he's got to <laughs> stay hydrated and, and uh, you know, sustenance is important. So. Uh, so to Bob's point, it's late. We're recording late. A little later than normal, actually. Yeah. We both had very long days. I've been, I've had a lot of work going on today. So my voice is kind of shot. <clears throat> so I'm doing my best here. I hope, uh, I hope uh, it's okay. Uh, I hope my, my, my various, uh, what's, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Your pretzel breaks? No, 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 no. Um, when you do a, uh, different voice inflections. Uh, oh, hmm. I, I don't know. Your voices sound great. All right. Thanks. Yeah, keep it up. Keep up the good work. All right, partner. What's the idea of dressing up in my costume? Just this, Mr. Rogers. You're too old to be playing Mass Crusader. You don't say. And I say, bull, I may no longer be in my prime, but I'm still Captain America. The super soldier serum has retarded my aging enough to give me another good 10 years or so. Listen to me, Cap. You've got to face it. The serum isn't as potent as it was in the old days. Hmm. You think not, Mr. Barnes? Feel that. And he flexes his arm, testing, asking Buck to touch his muscle. Tell me I'm still not in top fighting form. Hate to twist the knife, Steve, but I was the one who saved Rick from the Hulk. At the mention of his name, as awakened Rick Jones listens intently. Look, Steve, I'm not cut out for this job I have with S.H.I.E.L.D. And secretly, I've always hoped to become the new Cap once you retired. But I've always been afraid that, without the super soldier serum, I never live up to your name. And now, I think I can cut it. So Rick Jones comes into the room. Yeah, and the new Captain America will be needing one of those boy sidekicks unless the old one wants me to blab to the world his secret identity. Naturally, the youth is only jesting, but he has made his point. After some deliberation by the two older men, we see Buck as the new Captain America and Rick Jones as the new Bucky. Let's go, Rick. Wahoo! I'm coming, Cap, but man, can't you yell something a little hipper than wahoo? To the world at large, there is no new Captain America. He is, it is assumed, the same hero born in the Holocaust of World War II. Yet, in a way, this Earth's mortals have not been deceived. For that which Captain America represents must ever remain unchanged by the winds of time. You agree with that, Bob? I, I, you know, I, uh, I do, man. I do believe in the mantle. I believe in it. I mean, I think Steve Rogers embodies that mantle, but uh, I think we've seen time and time again, from William Naslin to Jeff Mace, all the way up through uh, Sam Wilson, that different people have picked up that mantle and carried it forward when when needed. That's true. I agree. But heavy is the crown. Heavy it is. 
Yet what of Steve Rogers, the original red, white, and blue freedom fighter? So now it's a change of fortune, right? So we have Buck, who was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., is now the new Captain America. And who is the new head of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Steve Rogers. So here they are, uh, a bunch of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents led by Steve in his S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, suit. Uh, I mean, it's not a S.H.I.E.L.D. suit. I mean, it's a business suit. He's, you know, wearing a sport coat and a tie. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're in the middle of a battle um, and uh, against Hydra agents. Buck was right. Being S.H.I.E.L.D. director is better suited to a man my age. If I happen to slow down, I've got a veritable army to back me up. And I've got to admit, I don't mind giving the orders. This is Hope Steve Rogers, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., the last battle against Hydra. To be waged where the S.H.I.E.L.D. submarine has brought him and his elite corps. The uncharted island, which is, according to security leaks, the main Hydra base of operations. And it looks like it's a volcano, right? Like an active volcano. Mm-hmm. And then who's behind Steve in his suit? It looks like the uh, the ever endearing Sharon Carter. In a purple outfit. Yeah. Is it purple? Yeah, it, it does look purple. It looks more like a fuchsia, but... Oh, very nice, Bob. I'm not going to quibble over the palette. <clears throat> well, Steve, that finishes this gang of Hydra killers. Now, do we go inside? Any minute now, Sharon. But first, we wait for reinforcements. In the form of one guy, we'll both be glad to see. Seconds later, as colorful figure parachutes from an inconspicuous private plane, there's Buck as Captain America. Thanks for waiting, Steve. You know how I wanted to be in on the big Hydra kill. Really think I'd pass up the opportunity of teaming up with you again, uh, Cap? Someday, Cap and I are going to team up permanently. Huh. What? <laughs> what I, if? I, I, Sharon is talking about Cap right in front of Steve like that. That's weird. And then the next panel is even weirder. There's Cap, which is Buck, getting a full-on kiss going on with Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. That's French. That's a French kiss. <laughs> How did you pronounce that? Ooh la la. French. <laughs> you, Pepe Le Pew? <laughs> oh. Oh, ooh la la. Even on this world, there is love between a Captain America and Sharon Carter. Shield code, num- code number 13. And as Sharon is kissing Buck as Captain America, she's thinking to herself, if this is to be Shield's last mission against Hydra, then Shield will no longer need the services of Agent 13 or Cap Barnes. Then the new Captain America instinctively takes the lead. And Steve's thinking to himself, there he goes, living up to that symbol that is Captain America. But I saw Sharon tense up. She's counting on him hanging up his shield when this is all over. I wish her luck. So then uh, 
Buck says to Steve, Now what, Steve? We can't just blast our way inside the volcano. No need to, thanks to Tony Stark's brain boys. This gun fires an anti-sonic beam that will tear open the door silently. Uh, don't ask me to explain it. So sometimes when I read stuff like this, um, it, it feels a little, you know, forced, a little fast, right? Uh-huh. I think of the Marvel way of doing comics, right? So there's the plotter who gives the plot to the artist. The artist then does the layouts, right, and everything. And then it comes back to the writer to do the scripting. Uh-huh. And I almost think like, like the scripter is like, okay, this was really fast to all of a sudden have this particular gun, you know, that can open uh, open up a side of a right, you know, right. That he has to like explain it, and and then almost it's like it's a wink to the reader, you know, like don't ask me to explain it. It's comics. Right. <laughs> I'm firing anti-sonic beam. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. That's fun. It reminds me of the New Yorker cartoon, you know, when they, they just give you the cartoon and you got to like send in what you think should be the caption. Right. I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. in some cases there's a lot of that going on in the bullpen. So uh, it's a sonic beam this time. Hmm. It's not even a sonic beam. It's an anti-sonic beam, which is even what more What does confusing. that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Right? Like, is the door made of sonic energy? And exactly. It's an anti-sonic beam? Right. So, uh, well, that seems to work. And once inside the volcano, the silence persists, save for the sudden sounds of fists pounding against hard skulls. And four bodies crumpling against the stone floor. Well, that's convenient. There's four of them, and there's four people they just beat up so they can put on their uniforms. And it's, it's interesting. They all fit, right? Because Perfect. like, yeah. you know, because they're all different sizes. That reminds me of the first Austin Power movie. Do you remember that? Do you ever see that? Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. Where yeah. they, uh, him and his uh, girlfriend, the, the female agent, mm-hmm. um, played by uh, the Heather, lovely. Heather Graham. Right? No, no. Is it Heather Graham? It was the dark-haired woman, right? That uh, oh, yeah, Elizabeth Hurley. The second one. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Hurley. Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. Oh, Bob. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm wondering. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is she, yeah. she a little, yeah, little thing for you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Bob. All right, yeah. we got it. <laughs> so, and and and, and you know, I'm I'm not made yeah. of stone, Bob. Yeah. Right. I know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a, that scene. Where, I mean, Heather Graham too. I mean, come on. It's a win. I'll still yeah. go with Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. yeah well. But anyway, uh, so there's that scene in Austin Powers where they, they, they're breaking in and the two of them, and there's these two guards that one is like really, really, really tall. And the other one's like really, really, really <laughs> fat. Right. And then they go and they follow them into the bathrooms and then they knock them out and they come out in exactly form fitting. <laughs> right. But like somehow it fits them perfectly. Yeah. And so uh, here's Buck 
whispering to Steve, funny, isn't it, Steve? My putting on one costume over another. Not as funny as this volcano looks on the inside. Looks okay to me. But then I can't say I've ever been in an inside a volcano before. What I mean is no one would risk building a setup like this in a real active volcano. You think it's fake, Steve? Hey, you three, cut the gap unless you want us to get caught. Before we get our hands on that supreme high... Good Lord, will you look at that? And so now on this next page, they're on... Um, they're coming up on this big inside this volcano. There, there's this place where they're creating smoke to make it look like it's an active volcano. And so these hydrates are there. I need more power over here if we're going to increase the smoke output. So that's how it's done. Artificially keeping the volcano active discourage people from coming near the island. Hey, something's happening over there. Oh, wow. And sure enough, um, all the uh, hydro agents are like forming up to, to, to watch something. And one of the agents says, don't know, don't know why we got to wear these itchy hoods down here. We all know each other. <laughs> the master is ready to speak. Again, I think. I That's think Hank the, Johnson right there. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I think like, I think the, the, the scripter here is like, yeah. you know, like, uh, let me explain some things, you know? Yeah. Like, um, like the part where he says, uh, you know, hey, isn't it interesting? I'm putting one costume over another. Yeah, I love you know? that. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> I, I almost think like, yeah, you know, he's 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 trying to be like, mm, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense. A little tongue in cheek. I love it. Yeah, you know, you yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that in this in this particular book, and I think you know, a little bit of like tongue in cheek humor, wink, right. wink, nudge, nudge to the reader. Say no more. You know what I mean? You know what I yeah. mean? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. <laughs> Does your wife? Does she like, does she like photography? <laughs> candid, candid pictures. Click, click, wink, wink. Say no more. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, for those out there, that's a Monty Python bit. Anyway. The Supreme Hydra is about to address us together now. And they all in unison, they all in unison say, "Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra!" Bobby, you got to help me with this. Ready? Oh yeah, sorry. Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra! Hail. <laughs> you are the worst. I was like, "Why'd you slow down, man?" Suddenly, it's like you know, you're like crawling along with the hail. I Hydra. even did it a second ago. Going, "Hail Hydra!" Were, hail Hydra. Fast, all fast you had to do time. was follow along. I'm not a follower, Rick. You know, uh, I was I was a leader. I'm a leader. <laughs> I'm not a follower. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the hooded throng proclaims the dreaded name until a figure appears before them. A figure who, though dressed as they are, <laughs> is obviously of a higher caste. So again, the, the, they're writing this in here on like, hmm, yeah, he doesn't really look like a Hydra leader. He looks like every, the same costume as everybody else. Like he has to explain, even though he's dressed like they are, he's obviously of a higher caste. Yeah. You know, I have to be honest here, Rick, I, not to harken back to the yellow age, but I, I don't think I ever noticed that they had capes. 
I'm not, it doesn't seem very functional. I think it's just a Supreme Hydra leader, right? No, no, uh, because in the next panel, which we'll get to here, the, they're they're wearing capes. Huh. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I very that. stylish, but I, I'm just not sure it's practical. Hmm. Are capes ever practical? Yeah. I really want to, you know, not to go on a tangent, but, uh, you know, I had a, when I, when I joined the Marine Corps as an officer, you had to buy your uniforms. It's about $2,500. At least it was what? back in, in, in the 80s. Yeah. $2,500. You had to buy your own uniforms for $2,500? Yeah. yeah. You had to buy your dress uniforms, all that sort of stuff. You know, you get a little bit of a, a, a uniform allowance, but it's a big chunk of change. That. Yeah. And you had to buy a sword, you know, <clears throat> but there are a few things that are optional, like, um, uh, the um gosh what do they call it? sam hill you know which is sort of a the patent leather sort of uh sword carrier that that you can wear and it comes with a strap across your chest and a belt and, you know that's expensive that was 180 dollars. but the thing i really wanted was the boat cloak which was a very you know it was like an ankle length almost like a cape right of a boat cloak um, boat cloak yeah so it was, never heard it, of it yeah it was you know it's it sort of dark on the back side of it like the the same color as the dress blues for the marine officer uh and then it was lined with sort of a red satin you know it was very chic uh but i i, I could never quite pull the trigger on the boat cloak because you know there's only really a couple times a year you would dress in your mesh dress or whatever and yeah boat cloaks aren't you know, it's not like you can swirl, <laughs> swirl around in your, you know, you go in, you hang up the boat cloak. It's not like you're going to wear it around the inside, but yeah, not practical, but I could see why Hydra went with the capes, you know, it just makes you feel, you know, beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I, I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot right there. I, I didn't no. know that um, the military dress uniforms you had to purchase yourself. That seems a little yeah ridiculous to me but okay yeah and uh and i learned about a boat cloak yeah um which uh sounds fancy it is fancy you feel fancy yeah mm. so the hydra supreme guy here uh has this big uh l- large ray gun in front of him it's about, probably about human size right mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 fairly large and it's sitting on a mantle of some sort, uh, a pedestal, I should say. And he says, uh, oh, and by the way, it's pink. Fuchsia. Is it fuchsia? Okay. Yeah, it's the same color as Sharon's dress. Oh, yeah. maybe there was a sale on fuchsia. At long last, it is finished, this device capable of draining off the life force of any living being. With this weapon turned against the world, soon no one will dare oppose us. And I shall rule this planet to further the cause of our new master race. And then uh, one of the uh, Hydra agents says, wait, Supreme One, before you continue, something's wrong here. And then there's Sharon in her outfit, which is a little form-fitting. It is. There's, clearly, is one, one of these things is not like the other. And she says, oh, no. He's right. Never saw a Hydra uniform hug curves like that before. But women aren't allowed on Hydra base. 
And so at this point, Bucks takes off his uniform, his Hydra uniform, and underneath, of course, is his cap uniform. Guess there's no need to stay in these ugly duds, gang. So Captain America here? I don't believe it. They're going to fight all of Hydra, two guys, a punk, and a broad? And so there's Sharon taking off hers, and she says, so it's time to do a quick strip tease, right, Cap? <laughs> oh! <laughs> that got Bob's attention. The 10-year-old 1977 <laughs> Bob. Yeah, that was up. <laughs> you hear that, Agent 13? I heard, Rick. Guess it's time these characters learned it's not polite to make fun of a lady. And she does a karate chop. Just like back in the big one, eh, Steve? Let's reminisce later, Cap. Like after we've cleaned up Hydra Base and swept all swept up all this dirt. Hey, Steve, somebody's got to reach that oversized zip gun before... Rick's right. I've got to get control of that weapon while there's still time. And worry about the Supreme Hydra later. He moves with the speed of a considerably younger man. But as Steve Rogers touches the gleaming finish of the weapon... There's a big zap there. It's like, crack, clack, clack. That's nice. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm just, that's what it says. I am not allowed to do, so, I, I'm, I'm telling you, Rick. You, you, Did you, you get me, in trouble last time? You, you got me liquored up last time and then, you, <laughs> then you, you had me do side effects and I heard about it afterwards. So <laughs> I, said, yeah. I did. I set you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, clack, clack. It was the, it was the, flip, flip, clang. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. That was you, dude. And I did not get you liquored up. That was totally all you. Oh man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear about this. Oh, sorry, Casey. I'm sleeping in my office tonight. <laughs> so, so anyway, he touches the, the, uh, the, the gun, right. And, um, it knocks him unconscious because it's, there's some sort of feedback on there. And the next thing you know, uh, you got Steve Rogers tied to a table, very Kirby-esque looking table, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got Captain America, which is Buck, uh, laying on another table. And the watcher continues to narrate the story. He's unaware of what occurs during his unconsciousness. So the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. finally begins to revive the fool. To think he and his three comrades could defeat the hordes of Hydra. Then Steve's eyes blink open. He leans forward as far as the restraining clamps permit. That voice, his mannerisms, could it be? Uh, what happened? It is good that you are awake, Hannah Rogers. I can use another conscious guinea pig to test the weapon. The weapon was, as you Americaners would say, booby-trapped. With electricity. Frankly, the shark should have killed you. Wait, now I'm sure. I know who you are. Not even that getup could disguise Hitler's number two henchman. Was? But how could you? Then if you know there is no longer need for this charade. For beneath the mask of the Supreme Hydra lies another, far more terrible mask. That of Baron Zemo. Who the verboten red skull put to sleep for, mere, for more than 20 agonizing years? 
and who still wears this unremovable hood fastened to my face by a worse enemy than even the skull. Your masked ally, Captain America. Good God, Simo's completely insane. He's already seen Captain America unmasked the day in England, but now he doesn't even recognize me. Either the years have been harsher on me than I thought, or Zemo's crazed mind won't equate my face with the superhero on the operating table. You know what I also thought was really interesting here, Bob? Yeah. When Supreme Hydra took off his mask, yeah. underneath was Zemo's mask. Now, yeah. for those visually who can't see the comic as I'm explaining it to you, Zemo's mask is this fully clothed hood with stripes. Mm. It's fuchsia, as Bob likes to call it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can't see any flesh. Right. Because it's stuck to his face right. due to adhesive X. Yeah. However, Commander Hydra, Supreme Hydra, is a half mask yeah. that covers his top half of his face. Yeah. So you get to see the flesh underneath with his mouth and him talking in the mouth open. Yeah. What happened, Bob? <laughs> there was a little bit of, I don't know. He, uh, they didn't connect the dots on this for me because when he pulled off the mask, you didn't see any fleshy prosthetic get pulled off with the mask, right? Um, something was lost in translation with the pulling the mask off. Because all we see is Baron Zeman's shrouded face. Baron who? Uh, Zemo? Yeah, did you say Zeman? No, Zemo. <laughs> okay. I'm <laughs> Baron Zeman. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds a little naughty. <laughs> bow, chicka, bow, bow. You got me thinking about Agent 13 striptease or something. Oh, I don't know. know. It was a, something. I got you, Baron Zeman. All right. <laughs> there. Steve Rogers lies my reason for organizing Hydra the way I did after escaping the Skull's castle. Not only would my minions wear masks, as this swine doomed me to be forever masked, but so I would not be confused by the sight of other faces. You see, I had to remember one face, the face of the man who reclaimed the drone plane, making me fail Manfur and the Vatalan. And as he pulls off the mask of Captain America, it's it's Buck. The face I have remembered for all these years of the man I swore to kill. The face of Vas? This is not Captain America. Zemo's more deadly than ever now. No telling what he might do, crazed as he is. But maybe there's still a chance. And so we see Steve struggling uh, with his bonds. And he's, he's really sweating profusely. Maybe Zemo didn't build these bonds for a guy, even a 50-year-old who would have gotten a shot of super soldier serum. Oh, getting winded, but have to keep the adrenaline pumping. Have to keep straining, not only for Cap, Sharon, and Rick, but for the whole free world. And he snaps off his bonds. But Zemo's not paying attention, and he pulls out his gun at the Captain America on the table. 
You have deceived me, American shrine. But even if you are not my worst hated enemy, you shall perish as shall all foes of Hydra and Baron Zemo. Slowly, a gloved finger squeezes back the pistol's trigger. But no way, Zemo. And Steve punches him in the face, making him drop his gun. Within scant moments, Steve has freed his companions, only to see. It's Zemo's flunkies. They must have heard the commotion from the other room. And sure enough, all these uh, Hydra agents come running in with their uh, big yellow H's on their chests. Ready to show them how the weaker half of this team can fight? I didn't know there was a weaker half, Rick. Wonder if I've got time to get my mask on first, says Buck. And Steve starts fighting. If you, are, if you heroes are finished chatting, let's take these Hydra scum before they take us. Master, use that weapon of your... But as the figure of Zemo stirs to full awareness, I cannot reach the experimental weapon in this melee, but I still possess my handpiece, and I shall yet destroy my foes. Even if my my own men get in the way. And he starts firing at everybody. And Sharon yells, Cap! Bucky, are you hit? Nah, miss me. Go get Zemo, Cap. Captain America's words are enough to prompt the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. into action. And then the other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents start busting in. We waited outside till the designated time, Steve, but we're here now. Then mop up what's left of these Hydra killers. Mr. Supreme Hydra is for me. But you called him Bucky, and he called you. What's wrong, Nazi? Afraid to say it? Here, look at my face. Look real hard. Captain America! Yes, now I see. You won't just see. You'll feel. A fist that you haven't felt since the war. Himmel! The Baron staggers. But the fear in his heart now spurs him to move, as the former superhero spots something shiny on the floor. Run, Zemo, but you won't get far. Captain America isn't that old and stiff that he can't still throw his shield. And he does. He throws his shield and hits Zemo. Reacting with sudden terror, Baron Zemo buckles, barely missed by the spinning shield. There is a sound of metal striking metal, as the missile disrupts the Baron's machinery, that which produces and maintains the artificial magma of the volcano. And all of a sudden, this lava comes down on top of Baron Zemo. Nine! Nine! The boiling water splashes across the floor. Steve Rogers drops the shield, springs forward. Zemo, grab my hand. I'll get you out of this place. Zemo. It is with this moment that even if only for a short while, the real Captain America is born again. Everybody get out of here and seal off this room because the lava is spreading fast. And fake lava or not, it's hot. Dum Dung says, Be with you in a, just a second, Cap, as soon as I bruise my knuckles one more time. And as the last two hydrogens suddenly collapse, it is all over. Or almost over as in the adjoining room, now sealed off from molten lava. It's okay, Steve. We've got everybody out. 
but Zemo's weapon's still in there. No loss to the world, but the shield technicians might have wanted to examine it. But forget the weapon. How's, how's Cap, Steve? Look for yourself, Mr. Shield Director. You were so concerned with Zemo, you never saw me drag him out of the lava room. That's why he lied about not getting hit by Zemo's blaster. He wanted you to go after Zemo, Steve. Buck? Cap? And just then, we have Buck in, you know, as Cap, lying on a table. I wasn't fast enough, not strong as you, Steve. I know now there's only one Captain America. And he dies. And Steve grabs his hand, his face, and he, oh, oh, my dear God. And Sharon says, I hoped he retired after this mission. Hoped that two of us would get married. And Rick Oh, Cap, Cap. Steve is crying, and he thinks to himself, if only there was something I could say to them, or even to myself. Rick might understand why Bucky's died. Rick shared his responsibility. But with Sharon, it was different. And how can I ever make her understand that, in my own way, I cared for Bucky more than anyone? So now we cut to Buck's funeral it's a bleak and windswept morning as four figures gather atop a quiet knoll and they're on a hill with bare trees and the preacher says and the lord said greater loveth have no man than to lay down his life for his friends and steve comes over to sharon to comfort her it's over now, Sharon. Bucky did what he had to do. Remember that. He was on a, he was a special breed who, and Sharon, is a special breed? No, I won't accept that. Bucky Barnes did not have to die, did not have to put on a mask, and lose his life before ever having a chance to really live. And she pushes away from Steve. It's your fault, Buck's dead. Steve Rogers, your fault. The two of us will never try to compose yourself, Sharon. You don't mean what you're saying. Don't I? I know how you took a mere child, transformed him into an efficient fighting machine, had him out on some godforsaken battlefield while most kids his age didn't understand what the war was all about. You're a heartless monster, Mr. Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. To you, the death of the man I love was no more than a casualty of war. Steve Rogers aches to call his back, make her know his loss. But perhaps... It is best he says nothing more. Instead, he resumes control of the vast counter-espionage organization and tries to maintain the callous facade expected of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s director. If only Nick Fury had lived to take on this job. Nick was different. Nick was always better at this sort of thing than I. He'd just bite that cigar of his and swear. He could really hide his feelings even if he was dying inside. To the world, the building is merely a supply house. But actually, it's a private museum devoted to S.H.I.E.L.D., where behind a case of impenetrable glass, and there's Cap's uniform and S.H.I.E.L.D., and Steve's looking at it. Strange. You can almost see Buck wearing that costume again, 
or even myself in my younger days. I wonder, was it true what Sharon said of it to me? Did I begrudge Bucky a normal childhood? And am I really the one who, who killed him? Maybe I'd best stop dwelling on those questions. I'd rather think that Buck made his own choice to live the life he did. He was blessed with certain talents, developed certain skills. And when he saw that his abilities might help a strife-torn world, he offered them in his life freely. When I told Sharon Carter the, that Buck was a special breed, I wasn't talking about mass superheroes. I meant that he was a self-sacrificing individual, one of a truly rare breed who'd but as Steve, but as we leave Steve Rogers alone with his thoughts, a young man, costume in bright red and blue, slips silently into the Shield Museum, where for nearly a full minute he pauses, regarding what he studies, with both respect and awe. Then, Steve, Steve, wait up before you leave. Rick, Rick Jones. Haven't seen you in a while, lad, and I see you're still in uniform. That's what I want to talk to you about, Steve. I've been thinking, Steve, I'm getting older, and this Bucky outfit's getting a little snug. Are you saying what I think you're saying, Rick? The director of S.H.I.E.L.D. never was slow to catch on. I could keep training, learn to do everything you and Buck could do, and maybe the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. think boys will even reconsider that super soldier form some, someday. Let's face it, Steve. Your old costume does nobody any good hanging inside a glass case. We'll talk about it, Rick, okay? Just not now. And will this reality know a third Captain America? That is not my right to answer. Yet I shall reveal that as long as injustices prevail in this world, as long as there be voices crying for freedoms denied them, there will be a need for those who mortals call Captain America and Bucky. What if? I don't like your if. I don't like you got too many F's in your F. <laughs> what a great story, Rick, huh? Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of story for uh for the money you know what i'm saying oh, i do know it and you know what the listeners know what you're saying too because we're uh <laughs> this is an extra long episode for one freaking comic bob it was but you know those those what if uh issues could be uh lengthy yeah the, the, uh. yeah it is lengthy i gotta tell you it's it's also there's like every panel was packed full of dialogue and writing and descriptions and yeah yeah so it ran a little long but yeah, yeah interesting story yeah. um and if you've been enjoying the mcu what if then probably you enjoyed this if you this is the first time you're hearing it or uh or you know hey maybe it's a nice little flashback to when you first read it in 1977 yeah but uh yeah fun story it is and it's great i mean i think roy thomas is a master of uh you know, the sort of the call outs. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, the guy knows the continuity, right. And he weaves in the other tales, right. That have happened over the years, strange tale stories, tales of suspense, the early cap stories. Uh, they're all in there, right. There's touch points along the way. 
touch points along the way uh, that Roy Thomas expertly weaves, you know, as the plotter into uh, into the storyline. So it's an enjoyable tale. If you haven't read it, reread it. If you have read it, reread it. In fact, just reread it. That's all I'm going to say. I do think it brings up an interesting question at the very end. Uh-huh. Um, did Steve kill Bucky? Did Sharon have a point when she said, you, you took a, a kid, trained him, and put him on a battlefield? And I think Roy Thomas decided that's something that has been brought up yeah. probably for decades at this point, right? Right. It's yeah. probably been brought up for three and a half decades of, wait a minute, you're taking a kid and you're putting him on the battlefield, right? Was, um, And I think Roy wanted to broach that subject by having Sharon broach that subject uh-huh. and then have Steve through his inner monologue say, no, I think Buck was that type of person who was going to do that type of thing. And he knew what he was doing was going to the greater good. So um, I don't feel guilty for having given him that opportunity. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that's, I think you're right. I think that's exactly uh, what is going, going down in, uh, in these last few panels of the story. I think that's a hard sell. Uh, I don't think there's probably any other way to sell it um, without, without Steve Rogers admitting that uh, maybe this was not such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, and, and as you know, uh, way up in the Winter Soldier story, many, many, many years later, they address it in a different way, right? Uh, and try to, to get around that sort of accusation that uh, Bucky was just a young teenager, you know, uh, and uh, heading off to war, you know, camp mascot one day, next day he's in uniform out fighting Ratsies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sort of, uh, sort of address that in a different way, a more constructive way. Uh, than simply saying, well, you know, he's just that sort of guy, yeah. that sort of kid, right? I mean, that's a that's a hard sell. But I yeah. think in 1977, you know, there wasn't a lot of tools in the toolkit to try to connect the dots on that in a satisfactory way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I I, I 100% agree that that was as good an explanation that they could give back then. Yeah, and I also. I also envy those who read this story brand new in 1977 um, or even if it was pre 2005. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you got to read this story and be like, wow, it's really cool seeing a grown Bucky. It's really cool seeing, you know, uh, what would happen, you know, with this character. Um, Because we, again, we, we do take it for granted now yeah you know over the last 15 years yeah so it'd be kind of cool it'd be cool though if some of the listeners if if you remember reading this let us know yep share those memories all right well next next episode uh episode 54 hopefully by then we'll have our issue of united states of captain america number four so come back for that we'll review that in next episode so bob as always 
I had fun wrapping cap with you. I did as well. I did. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go have some pretzels. <laughs> I'm in the mood now for some strange reason. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick for And you've been listening to another episode of the captain America comic book fans podcast. Thank you.